All right. Hello. My name is Al. I'll be your chaplain for today. I'm here to provide you with religious, spiritual, and emotional support. How are you feeling today? This is the line that I say uh, 20 to 30 times a day when I spend the full day at the hospital visiting different patients all throughout the day. This is the only script that I follow. And after I introduce myself with this line, I have no idea where it's going to go. Patients can kick me out of their room right away, and that's their right to do so. Or as soon as they hear the word chaplain, some people have cried immediately. And other people, when I say the word religious support, they cuss me out. I've had a wide range of responses to my introduction. The most common response that people say is, I'm fine, thank you. Uh, then I ask some follow-up questions. How are you fine? Or how is your body feeling? Or how is your heart today? Depending on the mood that they are giving me. At least a few times a day, uh, a patient will speak a different language than I do. And in that case, I will give them a card that looks something like this. And then other times, uh, they will tell me that they are not Christian and they don't practice Christianity. And then I'll offer my services to, and then I'll clarify to them that I'm here to provide support for people of various backgrounds. And other times, uh, if they happen to be Buddhist, which I am not Buddhist, but I will try to meet their needs as best as I can. And then I will give them something like this. So I'm gonna actually, I brought these from the hospital, one of the hospitals that I work at. I kind of, I currently work at two different hospitals. And I'm just gonna pass this around so you could see the various uh, literature, I, I guess you could call these, uh, for the patients that I see. Oftentimes, um, the patients will welcome me and allow me to get to know them. And the fact that I am a complete stranger helps them open up even more. And other times, uh, the fact that uh, I know that these interactions, and we both know that these interactions are temporary, uh, helps them even up even more. And um, the fact that I am here just to support them and them alone in this very critical moment in their lives opens up this kind of well of emotions within them. And there have been very many lessons that I've learned along the way in this past year of doing chaplaincy alongside church planting and pastoring this wonderful community. And some of the lessons that I've learned have been very surprising, totally unexpected. And this is the first lesson that I learned. Oh, before I do that, here's a picture of my chaplain team. This is one of the hospitals that I work at. This is the one that I started working at at the beginning of this year. Um, so there's me. Uh, these are some of the wonderful chaplains. Everyone except her, she's our uh, admin assistant, and this is our director. 
I don't know why he's flexing. He's not that buff. <laughs> but uh, they're wonderful. I, I, I love this team. They're great. Um, most of us are, most of us here are part-timers. We have like other jobs like me, you know, I'm, I'm bivocational right now. I'm serving at this church and I'm serving as a hospital chaplain. Uh, this guy right here, he's actually a Catholic priest and he serves at our church, or sorry, at our hospital like part-time visiting Catholic patients and serves communion and baptizes the sacrament of the sick and whatnot. So this is our awesome team. And I've learned a lot of lessons along the way, too many to fit in one sermon, unless you want to hear like a one hour sermon, that's fine. But uh, so I split it up into two. And the first lesson that I learned is this. Love and let go. Love and let go. When a group of religious leaders came up to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest law in the entire Bible? They were talking about the Old Testament because the New Testament didn't exist back then. Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. During this past year or so of being a hospital chaplain and previously, like two years ago when I served uh, as a hospice chaplain, one of the most valuable lessons that I learned about loving my neighbor is I need to learn to love and let go. Whenever I enter into a patient's room, I have no idea what waits for me on the other side. I give everyone that greeting, that introduction, right? and how people respond to me is completely up to them. I don't know if my interaction with them is going to be one minute or one hour. I literally have no idea, right? All I know about them before I go into their room is their name, their gender, their age, and there's a brief description that describes their religious background and their condition, like what brought them into the hospital. But those last two, their religious background and their condition, is oftentimes inaccurate. It could say they're Catholic, but they're actually like agnostic. It could say they're uh, atheist, but they're actually practicing Buddhists. <laughs> and then other times uh, the condition, they just write a very, very brief description. It could be one issue that they're in for. It could be like multiple issues that they're in for. So all I know really is their name, their age, and their gender. That's the only three things that I know for sure. And what waits for me on the other side of that door, who knows? <laughs> I have no idea. But I do know that most likely I'm going to interact with them this one time and I might never ever see them again. So I'm in this practice, this kind of mentality of trying to love this patient, this person, as long as I possibly can, as long as this person will let me. And then when I leave that person's room, I may never see that person again. So for that brief moment in time, I try to love them as best as I can, and then I let them go. There are many similarities that I have experienced uh, as a chaplain and in starting this church. Um, as a church planter, as a new church here uh, in Glendale, one of the things that I'm sure many of you have recognized or, or noticed along with me is that uh, people come and go, right? We've seen this, right? There are people who visit just one Sunday and then we never see them again. There are people who've been with us for like a year and then they have to move away. And there are people who 
have not stuck around uh, with us after COVID, <laughs> and that's okay. Before I was a hospital chaplain, um, whenever people would do that, I would take it so personally. I would be so butthurt when people would not come back, and I would think, I would think like, did I do something wrong? Did, I, did they not like my message? Or, you know, it was something, did they not like the space or whatever? But oftentimes, it's, it's many things that are beyond my control. Like people who have visited and have never come back, they often say, oh, we're looking for a bigger church. We're looking for a church that has a women's ministry. We're looking for a church that uh, has more resources. And a lot of those things are out of my control. And I would, personally, previously, I would take it, I would be so offended when people say that to me. But now, since I've been in this practice of like loving one person at a time and then letting them go, um, I've kind of learned that this is actually a really, really healthy practice. And if you really think about it, every relationship that we have is temporary. Whether it's one hour, whether it's one year, even if it's 50 years, that's still temporary. But what stays with you is forever. What stays with you is permanent. There's this one wonderful passage in uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 15, verse 10. It says this, You shall give freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give, because for this your God will bless you. You shall give freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give. For this, God will bless you. When you think about a place like Los Angeles, right, it's a very transient city, right? People move in, people move out, uh, and our church is very kind of similar. People come and people go, and I've kind of had to learn to kind of learn to let go. But for the brief period that I'm allowed the privilege to be in this person's life, I'm going to love them as best as I possibly can and as best as they will allow me. So if we have a visitor visiting our church and uh, they stick around, they drink our coffee, eat our pastries, and get to meet uh, our wonderful community, and they hear my, the message and they say, oh, the message was very helpful, it was very inspirational, um, and then I never see them again, now I look at that and I think, then, I did my job. Even if I never see them again, I did my job. Before I used to think very capitalistic, whereas like I want to retain these people. I'm, I am giving uh, this, I'm, I'm gonna prepare an awesome message so that these people can stick around because if they don't stick around, then it's a waste of time. It's a waste of my energy. But I don't think that way anymore. I'm trying to learn to get into this habit of loving as best as I can and letting them go. I linger. When the person wants to linger, and I let go when the person wants to leave or needs to leave. Especially when a person is uh, different from you, when a, uh, your neighbor believes differently, thinks differently, and has different values, they might not stick around, okay? Which leads me to the second lesson that I learned. Love anyway. Love anyway. There are patients whom I meet every single day that I completely disagree with. 
I have different values from them. I have different beliefs from them. I have different worldviews from them. If they desire emotional and spiritual care, am I supposed to leave them hanging? <laughs> of course not. I try to meet them where they are. And this is what love is, okay? Love meets the other person where they are. As a caring pastor, as a caring chaplain, as a caring neighbor, I should not expect them to come to where I am. As a loving person, I am expected to meet them where they are. Despite our differences, I have to love them anyway. Even though I may not get anything from them in return, uh, I love them anyways. Oftentimes, uh, however, oftentimes I do find that I get a lot in return. And it's very unexpected. You know, in the beginning of each morning when I, when I see my list of patients that I need to visit, you know, I, I see their names, their age, and their gender, right? And I already have all these assumptions that I'm making about these people, all right? And it's, it's bad, it's wrong, okay? But I can't help it, all right? So let's say I see uh, there's a list and I, I know that one patient is a Korean American man in his 30s, right? And uh, I, I know this because his last name is like Kim or Choi or something, okay? And then right below him is an Armenian man who's in his 80s, right? Who can barely speak English, right? And I, I just assume I'm gonna connect better with the Korean American man. So I go in and I visit the patient and then the Korean American patient, his heart is completely closed. And maybe he had bad experiences with church or whatever, but he, he just like kicks me out of the room right away. And then I visit this older Armenian gentleman and he is just welcoming me and embracing me and telling me about how he had to flee Artsakh uh, and he, he's, he's a refugee and he lived in Iran for many years and now he's been living in America with his family and he's so grateful for the life that he has. And I'm able to connect with this person spirit to spirit in a way that I never thought was possible. So despite the differences that you may have with uh, other people, you never know what God can do in that relationship. You love them anyways. What is, uh, does anyone know what ROI means? I'm sure you guys do, right? What is ROI? Return of investment, okay? Return of investment. What does ROI in the kingdom of God look like? It's a trick question, okay? Because we don't know, right? We don't know. And there's this wonderful story that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. It's called the parable of the seeds. Where he, he tells this story, there's this farmer, and he's like planting a bunch of seeds, okay? And, uh, you know, little seeds like that, right? He's like spreading them around in his field. And some of the seeds fall on rocky soil. They sprout up really quickly and then die. Some of them fall on like thorny soil. They, they grow up and, and they're healthy, but the environment like chokes them and like restricts them from growing in a healthy way. And there's others that grow on, uh, that land on good soil and they grow to be healthy, strong plants. When we are spreading love like seeds, okay, when we are like 
investing in all of these people and all of these relationships, we have no idea what God is going to do in those few moments, those few years that you spend with this person. We have no idea. But this kind of mentality of ROI, it's not something we learned in the Bible, okay? It's something we learned in our American Western culture. And somehow we've transferred it over to our faith. And it's very unhealthy. It's very unhealthy. And I have been learning, rather, <laughs> I have been unlearning a lot of the toxic lessons that I've been taught from school, from culture, from society. This is not how, so, I, 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 so I've been taught that I, I invest in people, I invest in relationships, I love people so that they could come to my church, so that they could commit to whatever we're doing. But that is not how the kingdom of God works. We're supposed to love those who are different from us and we're supposed to give freely, as it says in Deuteronomy. Most people, uh, unfortunately, give love expecting something in return, okay? And that's probably uh, natural for most people to understand because, especially in America, because that's how it, it, we've been taught. But not all acts of love need to be this way. In fact, I would argue that the purest form of love is to love without expecting anything in return. Love unreciprocated is the purest form of love. A good example of this is found in James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The people that James is writing this, this letter to in this passage is Jewish men, okay? He's writing this letter to the church in Jerusalem, okay? So he's writing this, these words to Jewish men. So when he's saying, look after orphans and widows in distress, he's really challenging them to love those whom you've neglected. Love those who are different from you. Love those whom you will never receive anything in return. Who is your neighbor? Okay, okay, this is a, not a rhetorical question, okay? This is my genuine question to you. Who is your neighbor? How do you define neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Anyone? Who's your neighbor? It's not a trick question. Everyone? Who else? Is it only people who live next to you? No. Can you choose your neighbors? No. When Jesus said, let me go back one slide. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was very intentional about using that word, okay? He didn't say love others as yourself. 
He didn't say love people, kind of this like ethereal, like abstract idea, okay? He's specifically saying love your neighbor. And your neighbor is literally anyone who is near you. Pro proximity, okay? Physically. It's the person sitting right next to you. It's your coworker. It's your like neighbor in, in, in your neighborhood where you live. It's that homeless person that you pass by every day on your way to work. Love your neighbor as yourself. So for me, when I'm visiting patients at the hospital and, uh, and I'm in a patient's room, that patient at that time, in that moment, is my neighbor. And the last lesson uh, that I'll share with you today is uh, love by listening. Love by listening. Another question for you all. Are people good at listening? Are most people good at listening? Why or why not? Sally, you say no? <laughs> I'm pointing you out, Sally, sorry. Why not? Hmm? Polite people like to talk like more than they like to listen. Yeah, that's definitely true. Anyone else? Most people have an agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, like right now, I'm not really listening to you. I'm just moving on to the next point. <laughs> just kidding. No, you're absolutely right. Like, when they, like, ask a question, they're really waiting for their turn to speak, right? <laughs> I honestly do that with Becky, like, all the time. I'm like, how's your day? And I'm like... <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Anyone else? Are, are people good at listening? Most people. And why or why not? What do you mean? There are a lot, okay, Emily says there are a lot of distractions, especially in LA. Okay, like. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So we're distracted all the time. Even if people want to genuinely listen, maybe they're unable to because of so many distractions. James, again, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Did it say only pastors and chaplains? No. Did it say only Christians? No. Everyone. Okay. This is one of those times where it's talking about every human being. And the reason why... This verse says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's because if everyone practiced this, the world would be a much better place. I am convinced that if everyone was quick to listen, slow to speak, there would be less wars. There would be uh, less breakups, less divorces. There would be uh, healthier relationships, better understanding. And I have discovered this 
in my practice is that people feel more connection with you when you talk less. People feel a greater connection with you when you speak less. There's this uh, passage in John chapter 11, verses 32 through 36. Oh, I didn't put it on there. Uh, it's the story of when Jesus's friends, Mary and Martha, their sisters, hey buddy, um, they request for Jesus to come to their home to help save their sick brother, Lazarus. Jesus takes too long, right? And uh, Lazarus passes away. Okay, let me read for you these verses. John 11, verses 32 through 36. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. The shortest verse in the Bible is John chapter 11, verses, uh, verse 35. Jesus wept. Two simple words, but they're so profound. Two simple words, but they're so profound. Now, Jesus knew that his friend Lazarus was going to die. He knew that Lazarus was going to die. And yet, when he went over there to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home, he still cried. He still wept. That's how present he was with them. I'm sure it wasn't like he wasn't faking it, okay? It wasn't a performance. He was genuinely feeling what they were feeling. It says in verse 33 that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled even though he knew that Lazarus was going to die, he still felt it and he still cried. When someone is going through a very difficult time, they usually don't want to hear a bunch of advice or a bunch of positive, pithy sayings. Like, oh, you know, that's just life. <laughs> or you'll get through it. Everything happens for a reason. People don't want to hear that. They just simply want someone to be present, to be empathetic, and to listen to them. When I was first starting off as a chaplain at the beginning of this year um, at Adventist Health Glendale, I had to shadow a couple of the senior chaplains who've been there for many, many years. And there's this one chaplain, his name is Elias. Um, after the day of following him and shadowing him and seeing how he provides spiritual care for different patients, I noticed uh, he doesn't really say much. Right? And this is like one of the first things that I notice about him, uh, about the way that he cares for these patients. 
Um, and, I, and, I, and I said to him, like, he, he asked me, like, oh, what did you think about today? And I said to him, like, oh, you're pretty quiet. You don't really say much. <laughs> and he said, well, silence is the invisible partner in the room. Silence is the invisible partner in the room. And he elaborated on this, and he, he said, oftentimes, when in the past, when I've talked too much, it doesn't invite the patient to speak. And it just invites the patient to listen to me, talking to them, and that's not what I'm here to do. The best way that I could care for a patient is to listen to them. The best way that I could love a patient is to let them speak. Silence is the invisible partner in the room. So uh, thank you, Jessica, uh, for actually letting us practice that earlier. I totally did not plan that, but I'm so grateful that you did that. Um, but this is a practice that I think we need to do more often. It's just to be silent, like really silent. Not silent when you're scrolling through your phone, <laughs> okay? And not silent when you're doing work, okay? Like just sitting still in silence. Because when we do, that is when we truly hear the voices of other people. And that is also when you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let us pray. Lord, we wait for you. We give you space. And may we slow down the way we live our lives. So often we are pulled in different directions. We are given so much demand from the world. And we are so distracted by the things of this world that it is so hard to love appropriately. Lord, when I look at the life that Jesus Christ led, the way that he loved people, the way that he was present with them, how he would cure people of their diseases and then just leave, how he would heal people and restore them with their families and the society and then probably never see them again, and how he was able to connect deeply with people who were similar to him, but even more so those who are different from him. Lord, help us to follow that example, to learn to love and let go, to love people who are different from us anyway, and to love first and foremost by being present with them and by listening, truly listening. Lord, Jesus Christ is our very first chaplain who provided spiritual and emotional care. 
May we follow his example in loving our neighbors. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, have a blessed week.